Good morning, church. Wherever you are watching this service, welcome. It is so good to be with you again and to be with you in our sanctuary. We, as you know, are in phase one right now of this reopening process. We are hoping that phase two uh, is when we might get to begin in-person Sunday morning services. So we're actually, right now, testing our equipment so that when we begin meeting in person again, we can continue to broadcast to those of you who are going to want to stay home for a number of reasons, and also to those of you who have been tuning in for these past eight weeks that, that might not even live here in Douglas County. It's been such a, a wonderful thing to be a part of your journey with the Lord in this way. It's a great time, I think, to remind us that the church is who we are. It's not where we meet. And, and, and I say that because we have the tendency to look at what's going on around us and perceive it to be a hindrance to God's purposes going forward in our world. And it makes me think of the book of Acts. You remember how in Acts, uh, persecution happens, and, and the perception is, is that persecution is going to hinder the apostles from taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, when in actuality, God uses what appears to be a hindrance to propel the gospel to the ends of the earth faster and further than anyone imagined. And so even as we continue with uh, phase one and looking forward to phase two and phase three, uh, let's put our complete trust in God and imagine and ask him how he might want to propel his purposes in and through our lives further and faster ahead in the midst of this sort of pandemic pause kind of season. As we start this morning, I want to talk about questions, right? You can learn a lot about people from the kinds of questions they ask. Uh, My son asked this week, Dad, when do I get a cell phone? What can I learn about him? He wants more autonomy. He wants uh, to grow up and and to be responsible. Uh, And so what do I say as a thoughtful, loving dad? I say, no, son, you are broke. You can't pay for it. I'm not going to pay for it. There's more of an explanation about why he's not getting a cell phone yet. uh, But I'm learning about him just through the questions that he asks. Parents, those of you who have kids at home who maybe have asked you the same question a hundred times in a day, right? It makes you wonder, are they getting it? Are they listening? Is something wrong? And and when your answer, I've told you a thousand times, doesn't jog their memory, you're wondering even more, do they get it? Maybe you do hiring at your place of work and you have a candidate in your office and the first thing out of their mouth is, how much paid time off? How much vacation do I get? When am I going to get a raise? Doesn't that make you wonder if they get it? Do they have the wherewithal? Do they have the mindset and the attitude and the ability to do well in this job, right? You can learn a lot about a person from the questions they ask. We're going to look this morning at three questions the Pharisees and the Sadducees bring to Jesus that reveals a lot about them that reveals that they are spiritually blind. And so we want to ask ourselves this question as we continue in Matthew chapter 22. What does Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders, what does their questions, what do his answers teach us about what spiritual blindness looks like so we can identify it in our own lives and deal with it? We don't want to fall into the same trap that they did. If you have your Bibles this morning, Uh, Grab them, open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. We're going to continue in that chapter. I'm going to read verses 17 through 21. This is the first question the Pharisees ask Jesus. Their first question is, does God's law give us the ability, the justification to defy Caesar? Do we have 
to pay our taxes. And, and so we see from their question that their focus is on their rights, not God's work. Their focus is their rights, not God's work. Let's pick up in Matthew 22. Uh, I'll start in verse 17. This is the Pharisees. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar." And to God, the things that are God. Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. Deuteronomy 17 talks about the Israelites not having an outsider or a foreigner govern over them. Caesar is an outsider. Caesar is a foreigner. They're asking, does God's law give us justification to defy Caesar? If Jesus says yes, the Roman authorities will be all over him. If Jesus says no, the devout Jews will be all over him. Their intention is to create division in those following Jesus, to discredit his ministry. So we need to ask this question, what does Scripture say about how God's people should live with, respond to, under the rule of governing authorities? How do God's people respond to authority figures in their lives. The first place we're going to go is Romans chapter 13. Uh, this is a, a great chapter just to read through, read more than what I'm going to read uh, this morning because there's more here. Uh, but the first thing that we're going to see is that the posture that God requires from his people is one of yielding, is one of submission. Let's read uh, Romans 13. Uh, I'll read verse 1 and then maybe we'll just jump down to verse 5. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by him. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Also for the sake of conscience. And we shouldn't be surprised that the expectation of from God is that his people would yield their rights. Consider the entire life ministry of Jesus. Jesus was setting aside his rights to accomplish the will of the Father. Consider the entire trajectory of Christ's followers' lives, the calling on us to lay down our lives to follow his. It should be of no surprise that he calls us to yield, to submit to authorities. Uh, there's more. Let's continue from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read the first couple of verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth. Not only are we to yield, but we are to pray for and praise God for our leaders. And even Jesus' response in Matthew 22 to the uh, religious leaders really fits with those passages. 
doesn't it, where he, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and give to God the things that are God's, where we, we just would maybe summarize all of those passages by saying uh, that what, what God wants for his people are, are that they would be uh, respectful citizens. That might be the first thing, that they would be respectful citizens. Uh, second, that they would be model citizens, model citizens in obedience, model citizens in attitude. And third, that we would be prayerful citizens, prayerful uh, citizens. Now, what kind of reason, why, what, what would compel someone to be a model, respectful, prayerful citizen? And, and put yourself in the first century. This is infinitely harder for first century Christians to hear than it is for us today. Remember what Nero did uh, to Christians. Remember that they were burned, that they were impaled, right? Uh, that torture, uh, suffering, persecution was, was widespread. This would be infinitely harder for them to hear in their day than it is for us to hear in our day. What would be the why that would cause someone to live sacrificially, selflessly, yielding, even in their case, and sometimes in ours, to, to wicked and to ungodly rulers? Romans 13.1 says, why? Because all authority comes from God. All authority comes from God. He exerts influence. He exerts authority. He has power over all authority. Some of us trust God. We just don't trust his methods, right? Some of us trust God. We don't just trust, we just don't trust his methods. Some of us trust God, but we don't trust the people that he chooses to use. And, and so uh, what we see is that uh, when we belittle, when we mock, when we defy those who rule over us, it's really an indicator of our unwillingness to bow to Jesus than it is an indicator uh, of the degree to which we agree or don't agree with how a ruler rules over us. What else? From 1 Timothy 2, 3-4, we just read it. What does it say? This is a good thing, and it pleases God our Savior. And what does he want? Continue, verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Part of the reason we yield selflessly, part of the reason we lay down our rights, part of the reason that we trust that God is in control even when we can't see it, part of the reason we put our lives in His hands and say, do what you want with me, is because that's part of His plan to help all people understand the truth because He wants all people to be saved. The entire book of Matthew, we've titled this series, Matthew, uh, Upside Down Kingdom, the King and His Kingdom. And the idea is, is, is simple. The idea is, is that following Jesus, serving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, devoting your entire life to Jesus should look upside down in the culture that you find yourself in. It should look upside down when you compare yourself to people who follow, worship, serve themselves. It should look different. And, and keep in mind, this is not just something that's true for us present day. The nation of Israel, the enormous amount of law that they had uh, was all designed to help them live wholly within themselves in part so that they could be essentially a kingdom or a spiritual magnet, that all the nations of the world would observe Israel, the compassion that they showed for those in the kingdom, the justice that 
defined the, the way that they did business and the way that they related to each other, uh, that it would all be like a kingdom magnet, just drawing the nations of the world to observe them and to want to serve the God of Israel. There's nothing upside down. There is nothing that shows the power, the love, the peace, the hope, the joy that we have in God when our life looks just like those who don't follow the Lord. There's nothing that shows his glory when we only respect, obey, and pray for leaders that govern the way that we want them to. That's just the way the world follows leaders. So if you find yourself in a position this morning disagreeing with uh, the IRS, disagreeing with law enforcement, disagreeing with state officials, disagreeing with national, federal, international uh, leaders, would you consider that disagreeing with them, putting your trust in Jesus, demonstrated by being a model citizen, a respectful citizen, and a prayerful citizen, is part of how God wants to create awareness of his truth, and save people in and through your life. That it should look upside down. It should feel in some ways that you're laying down your rights, that your rights are being trampled. Is Jesus saying, do whatever officials tell you to do, no matter what? No, there's countless examples in Scripture of God's people defying authorities. As a general rule, if Caesar commands it and God forbids it, don't do what God forbids. If God commands it and Caesar forbids it, do what God commands. Do what God commands. This is also not to say that that Christians shouldn't advance causes good for humanity through engagement in the political sphere. God bless Christians who engage in the political sphere, who are informed voters, who are involved, right? That's a great thing. This is not to say don't be involved. It is to say put your hope first and foremost in Jesus. As we think about spiritual blindness, the first thing that we see is uh, these Pharisees. Spiritual blindness is a defiant posture towards authority figures. Uh, The second question that is asked is actually going to come from the Sadducees. And in this, we're going to see that spiritual blindness happens when people know about God's law, but they don't know God. They they know about his word, but they don't understand his word. And and so the question that the Sadducees are going to ask uh, is about their belief that there is no afterlife. And they're going to come with this kind of absurd hypothetical scenario that comes from the Old Testament, comes from a law that Moses passed down that essentially made a provision for a needy section of people, for a a, a needy uh, subgroup, and those would be families where the husband dies and there is no son, no son to carry on the family name to provide and, and to protect. And so there's a provision that said that if a husband died and his widow did not have a son, that the brother of the deceased man was to marry his brother's widow uh, and to provide a child, and in that way, the family's name would continue and the family would be taken care of. And so these Sadducees, who believe there is no life after death, come up with this absurd scenario saying, well, what happens if a man dies, leaves his wife, 
his brother marries his wife, but he also dies without having a son. And the third brother comes and marries the same girl, but he also dies. An absurd story from their vantage point to make the point there is no life after death. Let's see Jesus' response to them, verses 29 through 33 of Matthew 22. 29 through 33. Jesus answered them, you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what, has, what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. It says, and when the crowd heard it, they were astonished. Now, what did the Sadducees do? Sadducees go away and continue to plot how to kill Jesus. And, and so uh, what Jesus is saying is you can quote Scripture. You've read Scripture. Maybe you've read it more than anybody else, but you don't know God. You don't understand it. You know, the root Hebrew word uh, for Sadducees means righteous ones. The Sadducees tried to be righteous, but they did not know God. So they got all confused and did what made sense to them and missed things that were clear in Scripture. And so then when Jesus brings this to their attention, rather than responding like the crowds do with astonishment, they go away hardened. They go away hardened. They refused to consider that they were wrong. They refused to accept Jesus' critique. They refused to come before him humbly. Church, are, are, are we comfortable with God being inerrant, that there's no error in him, but the reality that there are plenty of errors in us? Are you someone who's able to take criticism? Are you someone who's regularly corrected by others and by the Lord, if not, that's cause for concern, right? If not, that is cause for concern. It's a spiritual red flag. I challenge you maybe this week, ask someone you know and trust to identify in you anything they see as a spiritual blind spot. Husbands, ask your wives. Wives, ask your husband. What do you see in my life that is inconsistent, where what I say and what I do are different? They don't match. They don't measure up. Ask them, what do you see in my life that might give you cause for concern? Or are we like the Sadducees who want to be right at all costs and are willing to even ignore and overlook uh, our own error in order to be preserve our sense of being right? The third thing that we see from the, this third question that is now coming is Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and the Sadducees teaches us that spiritually blind people will often compensate for their lack of relationship by adding rules. Spiritually blind people will often compensate for their lack of relationship with God by adding rules to what it looks like to be devoted to, to follow God. Uh, you know, the Pharisees had 613 laws, and they worked so hard to keep every single one. I mean, they were the spiritual varsity Christians. They were the uh, spiritual valedictorians. They were looked up to uh, for their righteousness, for their devotion 
to the law. They asked Jesus this question. Jesus, of all these laws, which is the most important? Knowing that no matter which one he picked, someone would disagree and that would create division. That could discredit Jesus' ministry. And so their question is, it's kind of like when one of my kids comes up to me and says, Dad, which kid is your favorite? Which one of us do you love the most? And I'm not falling into that trap. So what do I say? I say, none of you. I love mom the most. Here's Jesus' response. Verse 37. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is not saying that the Old Testament law doesn't matter. He's not saying that they can throw it all out, right? He's saying that all of it points to, facilitates, and describes what it looks like to love God and then to love your neighbor well. Flip that upside down to keep 613 laws and to not love God and to not love your neighbor well is to fail at the whole law. And and so that's actually where we find the Pharisees at this point. Uh, They have worked hard to keep every single teeny tiny law, but they have failed at the most fundamental level of loving God and loving others. We see this all throughout the New Testament. You recall when the Pharisee is standing on the corner praying, he says, God, thank you for not making me like those sinners, right? The Pharisees pretended, they portrayed to love Jews, but they hated anyone that didn't measure up to their standards. They had the same posture towards Gentiles. They hated anyone who didn't measure up to their standards and anyone who didn't look like them, anyone who didn't act like them, think like them, believe like them. They hated outsiders. Does your life look more like the religious leaders who went around judging everybody, who only liked, who only served, who only cared for, who only treated well people that were like them? Or does your life look more like uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan in, in Luke where this man goes and he cares for someone who would have never cared for him. And he gives generously, he gives sacrificially to someone who would have never cared for him. Three questions. Three attempts by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to corner Jesus, to contradict Jesus, to create controversy in his ministry, to discredit his ministry. Now, finally, at the end of the chapter, Jesus gets to ask a question. Uh, The fourth thing we see, Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders and the teachers teaches us that spiritual blindness is highlighted, is marked by defiance, by a refusal to follow Jesus. Uh, This is Jesus asking them a question, Matthew 22, let's pick it up in 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? A more uh, rigid or literal translation would be, what great man did the Christ descend from? What's his family tree? What's his lineage? Where did he come from? He said to them, they said, 
he is the son of David. Jesus replies in verse 43, he said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Jesus says, where did the Christ descend from? What great man did the Christ descend from? They said, that's easy. We know the answer. David. Jesus quotes from Psalms 110, the most often quoted uh, psalm of all uh, in the New Testament, to make the point that even David was preparing them for someone greater to come. That David believed that his descendant would be one greater than him, talking, of course, about Jesus. Problem is, is Jesus didn't come like David. They wanted David. What did David do? David came wielding a sword. David came and enlarged Israel's boundaries. David came and defeated Israel's enemies. Israel was an international superpower with David as a strong and mighty king. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted a king. Why didn't they follow Jesus? They wanted other things. Is it possible that we are like the Pharisees? Is it possible that we are like the religious leaders? We don't want to follow a king who calls us to lay down our rights. We don't want to follow the Lamb of God who hangs on a tree, who says, yeah, you must lose your life for my sake, and then you will find it. You must die in order that you might live. Don't we want a king that is going to establish and protect our rights, our liberties, uh, even our religious freedom? Don't we want a king who's going to come and put his hedge of protection around us and, and we'll never get sick and, and nothing bad will ever happen to our kids and, and we'll have this upward trajectory in life and happiness and comfort and promotions at, at work, this sort of spiritual red carpet of sorts? Church, do we want other things, or do we want Jesus? Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin. Do we want a Messiah like that? Do we want someone who sets us free from the power of sin, or are we just hoping for uh, someone that will help our bank account? Do we care more about our liberties than obediently laying down our life? Do we care more about having life on our terms than we do God's work going forward? We started talking about questions. I want to end with just a, a few questions to consider. Um, first question, are we looking like the Pharisees for ways to defy Caesar, or are we looking for ways to be prayerful citizens? Are we looking for ways to be respectful citizens? Are we looking for ways to be model citizens, making the lives of our rulers easier, not harder? Is our posture towards government shaped by God's word or shaped by our politics? Second question, are we like the Sadducees? unwilling to consider the error of our own ways. The crowds listened and were astonished. Sadducees were not willing to see the error of their own ways, not willing to consider that in any way, shape, or form they were wrong, not willing to come before Jesus with humility and humble themselves. Are we always right and everyone else is wrong? Or do we come before Jesus and humble ourselves and consider that maybe we're in the wrong? 
third, have we made faith about rules or a relationship? Is our measure of maturity about what God is doing in us, the spiritual fruit that he has planted and that he's harvesting in us, or is it more about what we've done, what we have earned, what we have spiritually deserved? Fourth, are we like the Pharisees? Are we wanting life on our terms more than we're wanting to follow Jesus? Why didn't the Pharisees follow? They wanted other things. Jesus was speaking to us this morning. Would he condemn us? Would he utter those same words? Do we want other things? Church, I want to beg you in a politically charged climate to ask the Lord, what would it look like to show, to have, to speak with, to type with on your keyboards for social media, Um, to show peace in the midst of a highly politicized, highly polarized climate? What would it look like to show hope in God in the midst of an enormous amount of uncertainty? Why would we do this? Why would we yield to a boss at work? Why would we yield to the IRS? Why would we yield to law enforcement? Why would we yield to city officials? Why would we yield to state officials? Why would we yield uh, to a president or to a king, wherever we may find ourselves in the world? Uh, 1 Timothy 2, right? 3 through 4. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior. He wants everyone to be saved and understand his truth. Church, at some point, we have got to value all people being saved. At some point, we have got to value His truth being seen. At some point, we have got to value and desire our lives have such an upside-down quality that like Israel was supposed to, all the nations of the world, everyone in our sphere of influence would look at us and say, I want what that person has. I want hope in the midst of uncertainty. I want peace in the midst of confusion. I want to trust when it feels like there's no one I can trust. I want to believe God is moving forward and something great is happening even when it seems like everything is going backwards i want that and i see that in this christian i see that in these followers of christ we've got to want god's glory more than we want to hold on to our rights more than we want to hold on to life our way some of you this morning need to once and for all go like this with your life let go and let god and it's a very simple process. If you've always held on to your life, repent of your sin, receive the covering of Christ over your life, and begin to follow Jesus. If you're listening this morning and the current events have got you out of your mind, would you let go, right? Recognizing that all authority lives underneath the authority of God. The Old Testament is filled with examples of God even using wicked leaders to accomplish his good purposes. Church, let's pray for our leaders. Let's intercede for them. Let's be respectful citizens. Let's be model citizens. Let's be prayerful citizens. For this pleases the Lord who wants all to be saved and to understand his truth. Join me in prayer. Lord God, we love you. We confess that we are inclined 
criticize, what we disagree, to dislike and to hate what we don't understand. Help us to put our entire trust, all of our confidence, all of our hope in you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.